Buongiorno, amici. It's Kimberly Holcomb here with Tommaso. Buongiorno. Ciao. Buongiorno. And welcome back to Kimberly's Italy. Before we start on the second episode of Venice, Venezia, parte due, I would like to mention that I finally have two clients, two different couples in Italy right now for the first time since COVID started. Brava! Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Tom. <laughs> Brava is for the feminine. Bravo would be for you. But thank you very much. Okay. So both these couples have been texting me. One couple six days in on their trip and the other just three days in. Both of them have been texting me and saying every single Italian person they have met or where they're staying is so lovely, so friendly, so accommodating. And it's because they're just so grateful that business is finally picking back up. And this is a beautiful thing. Certainly is. Yes. It certainly is. So I am leaving the third week of October for a two-week road trip from starting north in Lago di Como and driving all the way down to Puglia over two weeks. I planned this trip. I started it in the end of 2019 for a few women, and they decided, you know, during all this COVID time and endless planning and changing, that they would like me to escort them. That's exactly what I'm doing. And immediately after that trip, I have a second one that's starting with friends from here where we live. Because, you know, everyone's been a little bored during COVID or... Really? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> you know, just like housebound, lockdown, etc. So these friends also decided to have me come along as not only their travel planner, but their guide, translator, and, you know, like faux wine sommelier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a wine lover. I'm not an expert by any means. Mm -hmm. And the fun news is that Tommaso is joining us for that last trip, so we'll have plenty of new stories and adventures to keep you entertained and informed in our future podcasts. And both of these trips are with women almost exclusively, and I've I've nicknamed them Kitten Club One and Kitten Club Two. <laughs> and I'm coming along the second one as Tomcat. <laughs> one of our friends said that. It's so perfect. So anyway, please, please keep my travel planning services in mind as you listen to all of our episodes. Va bene. On to Venezia Parte Due. Okay, we left you at the end of the first episode of Venezia with the legit-looking parking lot attendant. Yes. Okay. So we and drive. I was completely oblivious to anything that couldn't be legit because I was so excited excited to go to Venice for the first time <laughs> in my life. Right. So we drove this Lancia. Don't forget, I had sideswiped, you know, two ancient walls with this car, so the side mirrors were basically gone. We drive this Lancia to Venice, and as you get toward the end of the mainland, knowing where you had to take the train or Traghetto, the ferry, to Venice, you would see these signs for parking lots. So I said, hey, let's choose this first guy. He, again, had on a uniform. Looked very official. Right? Good looking, I recall. <laughs> and <laughs> That was the driving force. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe that's why he was so successful. Yeah. Anyway, and there was a sign, Parqueggio da Michele or whatever it was called. There was a sign. He had a uniform. We pulled in. Right. We paid him for the five days that we were going to be in Venice. He gave us a receipt and showed us where to walk to the ferry, and off we went. Then we had our five days, amazing five days. And then when we came back, there was no parking lot, no parking attendant, nothing. It was no sign. It was basically like the equivalent of a think, office park. I think it was a printing company. Okay, fine. And, and our beat up Lancia, which we jammed into yep. some places, uh, was, was gone. MIA. and so we stood there with our small luggage thinking hmm what do we do now and i remember looking up to the windows of the office park i recall seeing somebody looking down i thought are they in on this with this with this scam well i also think we we had a little inkling when we were right on in the front of the um where the gondolas are because where the guy dropped us off, we asked someone, you asked them if, you know, this guy, because they said we had a round trip ticket included in the parking. Oh, correct. Right? Right. And so we knew like, okay, uh, no, no, like, there's no round trip ticket anywhere. First, first red flag. Yeah. First red flag. <laughs> anyway. So we're standing in an office park with no launcher, uh, no idea how to find where the launcher was towed or if it was still in one piece by then, you know. Anyway, in the end... Or in multiple parts in some third world country. That's what I meant. So, in the end, we found the car. It took hours, and then we had to drive back to Milano. But anyway, the moral of the story is, even a seasoned traveler and someone that lived in Italy, spoke Italian, can still fall for... A good-looking parking attendant. (laughs) Or a scam. Let's just say it was a scam. Okay. (laughs) Same thing happened to me in in uh, Rome years earlier while I lived there. That was embarrassing. But anyway, the moral of the story is look for red flags. Make sure that the sign is like permanently there, not just on this little pole that can be picked up and moved and or that no one else was pulling in before or after us and really look around. If it looks like an office park, it's well, probably well, an well, office Well, we weren't the park. only one. I mean, there were a lot of cars there. We went there. They were probably the people that worked in the office park. Well, maybe the office park was... In on it. In on it. That's what I said. Taking 20%. (laughs) Anyway, so even though that happened at the end of our trip, we still loved it. It was Tomasa's first time and it was... It was still magical. Right. Okay, so here we go. We want to give you a bit of history about Venice. And again, we love to tell the history because we truly, truly believe if you know some history, you know what you're standing on, you know what you're looking at, it just makes it that much richer of an experience, in our opinion. So this is not boring. This is fascinating. Ready? Go. Okay. How Venice came to be. The Lombards, which were a Germanic tribe, drove the Italians from the mainland of Italy to these little teeny sand islands back in 570 A.D., the Lombards, they were just bullies, right? They just moved everybody. Everyone did that in those 
centuries. It was just fighting, 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 mm-hmm. land grabbing all the time. It's sort of how they solved disputes. Uh, yeah, it was endless disputes. Anyway, so they the the Lombards pushed them off to these little sand islands, and the only people that had lived there previously were like seasonal fishermen in the Venetian lagoon. So it took about 80 or 100 years for them to build, you know, sustainable housing and everything like that. And then they decided to form their own kind of political system and they elected a duke, or as English called a doge. Doge. The doge's palace right in Piazza San Marco. You're jumping ahead. Sorry. Piazza San Marco wasn't there yet. Well, they it elected, is now. they decided on a duke, a duca, and a doge. Doge in English. Okay. So anyway, then all of a sudden, other tribes and countries were still trying to control everything. And they were they were controlled by Byzantine, by anybody. And regardless of who was in power, who came and went, the Venetians still had this incredible drive of trade, shipping. So you name it, they still thrived. Right. Because of their location and because of the water. And under and everyone back at that time was a city-state. There was no Italy. There no, were little city-states. No, states. that's way down the way. I, I, I know, but I think people should realize that all these little areas were right. city-states. Right. So finally, in 1030 AD, Venice called themselves Venice and became a republic. Venezia. Si. <laughs> of course, they still had like hundreds of years of conflict after that as they did in those days everywhere, but naval supremacy and trade in Venice just kept flourishing. Right. Until our friend, Napoleone. Bonaparte, Napoleone. He's back in that Frenchman. He's he's not a Frenchman. (laughs) Well, whatever. Corsican, whatever. Born in Corsica. Born in Corsica. Anyway, Napoleon Bonaparte came into play. He made a huge stink because he thought the Venetians were somewhat hostile to his French Revolution. So he forced Venice be ceded to Italy. Their republic was no longer, they ceded to Italy. And that was only 1866. And keep in mind, as we mentioned before in a previous episode, Italy only became its own country when, Tom? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Your birthday. My birthday, June 2nd. Yes, yes, But yes. in 1946. In case anybody wants to send me a really nice bottle of Brunello, June 2nd. <laughs> but he was not born in 1946. <laughs> no. Just saying. Okay. <laughs> We're really young. So on to how Venice was actually built after all of that. The super interesting part is that it was no easy feat because the Venetian Lagoon is all mud. There's no soil. There's no rocks, just mud, which the Italians call... Caranto, and I only am saying that name because you hear that phrase, that word used a lot in phrases about being tough and durable and stuff like that. So Caranto is the mud way down. And Venice, initially, when those Lombards pushed them off to those little sand islands, there were only a few sand islands and they were teeny. So as Venice started to thrive with trade and shipping, they expanded and they literally expanded on the water. So they had wood pilings, thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of wood pilings that were banged down, hammered down 
into this caranto. There was was no pneumatic crane back then. There was no hydraulic power. Yes. How did they do it? Two, like, wooden boats on either side, like gondolas with guys with big hammers. A little bit bigger. Right. But still. Complete ingenuity, hard work. I don't even know what to say. Sheer inventiveness. Right. So they carried on and they expanded into the water, over the water, with these wood pilings. It's been an ongoing struggle to this day to maintain these buildings, keeping the canals clean, dealing with the cracking from humidity, settling. And aqua aqua, 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 aqua alta, high water. Right. But they continue, these Venetians, to this day, coming up with new techniques to preserve this their city. Right. Okay, so now, you know how it's been built. Now, the lay of the land as it exists now. The Grand Canal is like, like two and a quarter miles long. And since it's a canal with one end in the lagoon and one end in Adriatic Seed, it has tides. And each time the tide changes, so does the flow of water. Imagine that. Right? But, well, Tom and I are both boaters. He's the bigger sailor, but I'm a sailor as well. And so we always notice tide and current. So when we were in Venice the first time, we're like, interesting, that boat ride in the morning, the tide was going this way. And at later in the afternoon, it was going the other way. So that, to me, is just different. Right, because you just don't think, you don't think when you're on uh, a gondola that there's tides affecting you back. Right. And those guys have a hard job. Not only do they have to be nice and sing and whatever, yeah. <laughs> they have to actually plow through a rip tide. And, and and I got to tell you something. I made a big mistake in Venice being a sailor, a guy in a boat. We were looked like we were going to hit each end of the gondola has a piece of metal, nice and shiny. And it looked like we were going to hit something. And I reached out to the wall and just pushed a little bit. And I could hear the gondolier <laughs> going, Kikatsu. <laughs> And, don't mess with me and uh, my... And he's like, right? no, 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 don't touch. No touch. <laughs> anyway, I stopped touching after that. I, I just, you know, you can't, you can't be, uh, you, you can't better these guys at what no they do. No kidding. They're pros. It's in their blood. Right. Anyway, the Grand Canal itself is shaped like a reverse letter S, and it literally divides the city in two. And because, so back to the history, because the canal is so wide... Venice thrived in the shipping and the trade industry, and the first settlement that they had was around the Rialto area, which everyone knows now from the Rialto Bridge. But imagine, prior to this bridge, or the ones that came after, imagine these huge ships, like 400-ton sailboats filled with cargo, sailing in that Grand Canal. I mean, they think it's large, but these ships with canvas sails, Maneuvering without an engine, tacking without an engine, dropping off cargo, picking up cargo. Like, that to me is mind-blowing. But they did it. They did it. Yes. Yes. But the first bridge, the Rialto Bridge that I just mentioned, was originally a wood drawbridge built in 1250. But since it was a drawbridge and all these ships, you know, jostling for position damaged it over and over. Finally, in 1591, they built a bridge entirely from stone. And it stands to this day. So think of that. From 1591, that Rialto Bridge that we walked over 20 times a day. Right. 
Think of the millions and millions of people that have walked over that bridge since 1591, and it's in perfect condition. And if anyone wants to see, instead of a photograph that wants to see a great painting of it, one of my favorite painters is Richard Parks Bonington, who was an English watercolorist, and he didn't hang out for a long time. He died at like 28. But he ended up going to Venice, and some of his, particularly of his Rialto Bridge, and Venice, these Venetian watercolors are just magical. Bonington. Bonington. Richard Parks Bonington. There you go. Okay. Google image that. Yeah. Anyway, there's three more bridges now on the Grand Canal. One is called the Academia, and that one is the only one in wood. It takes so much maintenance to keep a wood bridge in good condition these days. So finally... They completely renovated it, rebuilt it, I should say, just three or four years ago. But they kept it to its exact historical element, which I find just awesome. The other two bridges are up the way, but you can now cross the Grand Canal over four different bridges. But in the day, there was just the Rialto and all these ships coming and going. Back to the Rialto Bridge, the stone bridge built in 1591. Yeah. That must have stopped all shipping past that that point on sure, the, yeah, on the right. Grand Canal could, because right. they, they put them on on smaller things. They couldn't get the map. Oh, maybe by then they had barges. And, well, and that Rialto Bridge, the one of the bridges, not the Rialto Bridge, the across the Grand Canal, is when we had that the world's most horrible pizza. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. we were sitting on the bridge going, "Oh, we'll have a pizza right here. This is magical." And it was like... It was the worst meal in Italy I've ever had. Oh, it was terrible. That was another, like, scam we fell for. Yes. Oh, it looks so pretty. Let's go here. We ordered a pizza, and it was basically, like, ketchup. Bad ketchup. Bad ketchup. Bad ketchup. It wasn't even even tomato sauce. No, it was awful. It was horrible, but you know what? Then we laughed it off, and we just looked at this Brit, at the incredible view. Right, right. So there you have it. Anyway, let's go back to the Grand Canal and the architecture of the buildings on it. They totally run the gamut from Byzantine to Gothic to Baroque. And that shows the influence of those 500 years because everything on the Grand Canal was built between the 13th and 18th centuries. Mm -hmm. So 500 years of like homeowners trying to outdo their neighbors, (laughs) right? Back to how you get to Venice itself. Most people take the train directly from where you park on the mainland or a ferry. Like, you know, put out of your mind our parking story. Don't go there. Right. And when you take the the train or the ferry, you end up smack dab in the middle. So it's it's unlike other cities where if you get to the main, you know, train station in Rome, you're still on the outskirts or whatever. All of a sudden, you're right in the middle of Venice. So it's a easy, beautiful way to enter this place for your first time. And there's five main neighborhoods in Venice called the Sestieri. On the north side of the canal are the neighborhoods Sestieri of San Marco, Castello, and Canareggio. The south side has Polo, Santa Croce, and Doros Doro. Dorso Duro. Okay, I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, speaking of pronunciation, I hate to say this to you, Tommaso. I know. I've been. Uh, No, 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 no. Go ahead, go ahead. In our last episode, Tommaso was describing looking Mm. out at Guideca, the Mm. island of Guideca, Mm. and I let it go. I didn't say anything. Mm. 
but it's spelled G-U-I-D-E-C-A. It's, it's because pronounced- Guido. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry. It's pronounced Judeca. Judeca. Okay. okay. Anyway, so there you have it. Five neighborhoods. You can choose where to stay. They're all a bit diverse. Some are more, you know, crowded than the others, et cetera. And then the island of Guideca. Uh, there you go. And then- <gasps> oh, jeez. <laughs> You influenced me, Judeca. Okay, yeah. All right, let's let's carry on. And the move, expert on Italy. Right. <laughs> let's carry on and move to the most famous, most well-known part of Venice, and that is San Marco, the Basilica San Marco and Piazza yes, San, Marco. San Marco. The Basilica of San Marco, which they started building after they called themselves the Republic. Right. They wanted to honor their saint for their Venetian spirit, San Marco, St. Marco, okay. St. Mark's. Right. Anyway, they started building this, the one that exists today, in 1603. And the style they refer to as Italo-Byzantina, Italian-Byzantine. Mm-hmm. To me... It appears it's very, very busy. I'm sure you've all seen pictures or seen it in real life. There's so many things going on and so many arches, which are obviously Byzantine influence, but there's so many domes on the top. To me, it's very Moorish and Turkish. Well, that's where Byzantium was. Exactly, but I've never even been to Turkey, so there you have it. But both of us were just standing there in awe of all the different styles going on in this basilica. And and that's from the exterior only. And for me, studying architecture in college and being, you know, having my top five painters of traditional painters be Italian, uh, mm-hmm. Canaletto right. and, and, you know, Guardi, I was like, oh my God, I'm actually here. Exactly. Pinch, pinch myself. Isn't that the best thing for any of you that studied art history and looked at those slideshows in the old days, if you're our age, you looked at slide after slide after slide in your big classroom and saw these pictures of everything. And then when you're finally there for the first time in real life, it's like you knew it, you had every inch of it memorized, but then you're there and it's so overwhelmingly beautiful and so much more incredible than you possibly thought. Right. Anyway, San Marco, besides a basilica, that's a, that could be a whole episode in itself. So we'll just summarize by saying, no church lady, we're not going there. No, just go to Venice and see it yourself. I won't. I won't go into detail. It's a church. But I've it, heard that yeah. I go too much into church, churches. Church okay. lady. So anyway, let's talk about the piazza. Yes, Piazza San Marco is the only square in all of Venice called a piazza. That is, you know, to me, a super interesting tidbit. Maybe not to you, but. Every single town, village, city in Florence has hundreds of piazzas. But San Marco only has one. Piazza San Marco. The rest are called Campo. And if you're listening for past episodes, that was the night that Kim and I were like the last two people on the Piazza San Marco having a glass of wine. And we danced on a moonlit evening in Venice pretty much by ourselves. We had the whole piazza by ourselves. It was totally by ourselves, except yeah. for the mu- musicians. Musicians. It was just magic. We use that word a lot, but you know why? It's it's it's, it's true. The best it's, one. Sorry. <laughs> oh it, it, yeah, yeah. We you know we were in the piazza San Marco dancing. It was cool, man. 
<laughs> it was Instagrammable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was magical. Yeah. And since you brought that up, you yes, already dear. mentioned that in another episode, but that was at Cafe Florian. Yes. Cafe Florian is, they claim, not just Italians, but most people, if you Google this and say, what is the oldest cafe in Europe? Cafe Florian in Piazza San Marco. It's so beautiful, and the exterior of it is had been who knows what color with fresco paint, but now it's just gone because of so many years of floods and weather, and they don't try to fix it. It's that, you know, distressed look that... Rather weathered. New Yorkers pay, you know, a thousand dollars a square foot to have that redone in their apartment so just go to cafe florian in venice and that's the real deal okay it's so beautiful anyway that cafe florian is in one of the three buildings that surround piazza san marco that it's a long name in in italian and english i wouldn't even go there but three similar buildings with arch after arch after arch as long as can be and it's basically i hate the word but arcade yes and our long long narrow building and the whole ground floors are commercial restaurants stores etc and the top two floors three floors are uh offices and stuff like that so anyway it is stunning the entire piazza itself is truly an architect's dream, I think. You're looking at the basilica, and then you're surrounded by these three sides of colonnade arches that are incredibly long and not imposing, but just impressive. It's impressive that they've been there, and the the rhythm of it all leads you into the basilica and the tower. And if you think think about all that, it's like, really? Really? They built this way back then, and it's still existing on this space? I know. It, it, on top of all the tours that have been there over the years, and if, you're, if you go off-season like we always recommend, and you're lucky enough to stand there and walk around at night, we always do that everywhere we go. It's yep. totally safe. Walk around at night. They have minimal lighting, but you don't need much right. to know and to just feel this incredibly impressive architectural wonder. Right. It's a feat. Right. My goal is eventually one day, dear, we will go to Carnivale. Carnivale. You said that last time. I know, and it's He's still saying it again. and it's okay. We use the word magical. Uh, <laughs> it's and double magical. Double magical. And I want to go to. I want to go when you're going around. People in capes running around with masks and tricornered hats. Because I want to go back and like you know to 1700 in Venice, and that would be for me. I could die and then say. I've done it. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Mm-hmm. That's like when I swam in the Blue Lagoon in French Polynesia. I said, I could die tomorrow and be happy. Yeah, so we, we had some sharks. Yeah, whatever. That, <laughs> another side yeah, we story. We almost can. Side story. <laughs> Let me just go back to these arcades for a minute. Okay. Because they influence everything else about around Piazza San Marco. As you're looking in the Basilica and these arcade buildings, the three of them are on either side and then behind you. Right. And then to the right is Palazzo Ducale or the Doge Palace as right. it's most commonly known in English. So the Doge Palace has the same rhythmic repetition 
of arches. The Doge was like competing, for those of you who don't know, the Doge was like competing with the Pope back then. Yes? Yes, I yeah, think that's yeah, a good yeah, analogy. Yeah, yeah. Was, In their own little minds, because no well, one could ever Well, the, Ro- the Pope. Ro- Rome and, you know, Venice weren't like, you know, in sync. They were separate again. Exactly, when all this was built. That's right. Correct. Anyway, so the Doge Palace, you cannot miss its... It just, it's, it's not imposing, but it, it dances along the piazza. And it, it just is, you look at the arches and you look at trying to, it goes way back when, I, one of the first episodes, they talk about spring lines with arches and, you know, what we did in college, in theater school, how they built that, how they got that rhythm. And without a laser sighting, <laughs> they lined all those things up and they're within like, you know, a millimeter of one another. But you just feel as you walk by it to enter Piazza San Marco, it yeah. is so ever present. It's so important. Yeah. It's so well. You don't want to say imposing. The only word is, I didn't. Is, I no, didn't want to say. Imposing. No, I know. I know. But that's the word one would think of. But it's just like, whoa! It's magnificent. There. It's magnificent. Okay. Sort of like we'll use that word instead of magical. Okay, good because we overuse that. <laughs> Some people say. <laughs> I've heard that a lot. Use the words incredible and magical too much. I'm working on that. I need a thesaurus in my head. All right, so here's my favorite part about the Doge Palace. This is history, and it's gruesome. Okay, but here it goes. On the second floor, there's the ground floor with the arches, and then there's a second floor also with arches, a little bit more narrow. And there are all these marble columns that hold up the arches. All of them are white white marble except for two. There's two pink marbles on the second floor balcony of the Doge Palace. So rumor has it, and I do believe it's true, that the Doge, the Duke of the time, used to stand between the two pink marble columns and announce who was going to be sentenced to death right after he made the announcement. For doing what? I don't know. Stealing a gondola, stealing a thing of burrata cheese. I don't know. Anyway. Today he he would just tweet it. (laughs) (laughs) From standing in between the two pink marble (laughs) columns, maybe. Anyway, he would make the announcements of who was going to be sentenced to death. And then, well, by the way, the pink marble columns supposedly signify blood. So that makes sense because then the executioner would do his job on those people sentenced to death in between the two columns while all the common folk watched below. That's so sad. Yeah. Oh, well. But anyway, because of this morbid history, there's this super serious thing you have to pay attention to. Apparently, it's very, very bad luck to walk underneath the arches of the corner of the Doge Palace So all these tourists that say, oh, I'm going to go into Piazza San Marco. I'm just going to cut through this corner here of all these arches. No, 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 don't do it. It's super bad luck. And if by chance you visit the Doge Palace, like go into the museum part, and you're on that second balcony, do not walk in between the two pink marble columns. Never, ever, ever. It's certain death. You won't win the lottery, that's for sure. It's bad luck. (laughs) Oh, it's the worst of bad luck. So for those of you going to Venice, 
keep that in mind. Okay. They're very superstitious, and I believe it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, finally, in the Piazza San Marco is the Campanile, the only building we haven't discussed, and right. that's the bell tower. The bell tower. And it's brick. Yep. Which it was brick originally, which is super odd because everything else was marble and stone. So it was built of brick in the 10th century, early in the 10th century. I, I think the different materials reflect Venice's central nature in trade. Good point. In, in the Mediterranean. The tower was built in the early 10th century, and it was hit by lightning a couple times. It collapsed. It caught on fire. And then finally, the current one is an exact replica, and it was rebuilt in 1912. You can climb to the top, 323 steps, for the absolute best view in Venice. And a little side note here, Tom is a bit claustrophobic. He doesn't care for that kind of stuff. But this is not that claustrophobic at all. It's a wide tower. Right. And the view from the top is worth the walk, wasn't it? Yes, yes. And at the end of the dot-com boom way back 20 years ago, I think I mentioned before in a previous episode that we bought the drawings, that we bought the portfolio. One of my, when I got my last check, <laughs> it was all- That was the previous episode on Venice. Yes, I bought that portfolio. And one of the drawings of- they're all in the collection of the Queen of England. So, you know, Lizzie and I have a little um, <laughs> little thing in common. I've got a reproduction. Lilibet, yes. not Lizzie. Lilibet. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. Anyway, one of the drawings is of the rebuilding. Of Campanile. Yes. And it, it's magical to see these scaffolding and how they built it. And when, did, when was that drawn? During uh, 1912? I don't remember. No, I think it was well, early. Well, that's when this was rebuilt. Well, I think, well. So then, maybe, you know what? It was probably from another rebuild. Another time, because they're all they're all older drawings. Right, because once, it, twice it was hit by lightning, and once the lightning caused a fire, and then they reused the brick yeah. and rebuilt it. So maybe it was that one. Yeah. Anyway, we're carrying on about the history, but again, it's I just, just. It's it's really hard not to. It's worth it. It's, because, it's hard knowing about it, because you walk around with a different perspective. Right. Think of those of you that have been to Venice and you cut that corner of that arcade of the Doge. Right. Had you known this history, you wouldn't have done that. No. And you won't do it next time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so we went on and on about the history, but it's worth it in my opinion. And now we're out of time. So we had promised at the end of the first episode of Venice that we would tell you all these amazing places to go like the islands of Murano, Burano, you know where the glass blowing is in Murano and Burano is that super colorful, completely unique island for Italy. And some of our few favorite restaurants, little neighborhoods. And so that means since we didn't have time right now, because we're blabbing on about the fascinating history. Sorry, we are, we're just, we're enamored by it. And as opposed to, we're enamored by the magical nature of it. Magical and incredible. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so this means we'll have to have a third episode. One more episode of Why not, of Venice. right? Why not? And there'll be another one next year after we go again. Yes. We're going to go for Carnivale. Yes. I want to wear a cape and a tri-cornered hat and a mask and run around with boots and... And then we'll go to Cafe Florian again and dance. See? Okay. So that's it. 
Thank you again so very much for listening. And we have, as we mentioned before, received so many awesome reviews on Apple Podcasts and keep them coming because it makes our day. Yes, please. And it helps us grow our audience. Yes, thank you very, very much. And if you, you can leave a review, that would be fantastic. And subscribe. And subscribe. Every little bit helps. Okay, thank you again. Grazie tanto. Ci vediamo presto. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> ciao, ciao.